Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy to be with you again today. This is exciting today because we are coming to a very interesting topic when all things will be new. Just reminding you that we are studying the book of Revelation. This study is the last one from the book of Revelation. I'll invite you to open the Bible, the last book. Just be with us as we are going to look at this amazing topic. But before that, I would like to just welcome our panel. Helen, good to have you with us. Oh, I'm delighted. I just love this study. I'm very excited about it. Thank you for inviting me. I believe everyone the same. Lija, thank you for joining us also. Thank God for being here to study His Word. And Len, thank you. Yes, hello listeners. It's good to have you with us, Len, and uh, from time to time in, the, in a different seat. But thank you very much for all your preparation during this period of time when we study the book of Revelation. Brenton, good to have you with us also. It's nice to be here, and it's particularly nice to be studying a topic that is so positive and so optimistic. Yes. And Ken is our facilitator for today. Thank you very much, Ken, for taking on board this wonderful Bible study for today, and welcome to the program. Absolutely love to be here, Nick, and uh, it's one of my most enjoyable times of the week. No further comments, uh, Ken, I will just hand the microphone right to you. Okay, thank you, Nick. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this week's Bible study. The last one in the book of Revelation. If you have been following the series over the last few weeks, you would have heard God's truth and prophecy straight out of the Bible and the events leading up to the return of Christ, as told to us by the Apostle John when he was under arrest on the Isle of Patmos. We have covered many things as outlined in this book, from the symbolic language used, Christ's message to the churches, Jesus as the Lamb, the seven seals, God's sealed people, and much, much more. God tells us what is about to take place soon on this earth. We have talked of the sin of man, the judgment, and what is in store for those who refuse to honour God. I would like to remind all that God loves everybody on this earth. However, he does not like sin and will not tolerate it. And so, as we approach the return of Jesus, God is going to put an end to all the sin that is in this earth. Today, we are going to discuss the wonderful information God has told us about the return of Jesus and the new heaven and new earth he is going to make for all of those who love him and keep his commandments, as revealed in Revelation 14 and verse 12. But let us start off this morning with a prayer. Leche, would you like to have some words on that? Glorious Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to study your beautiful holy word. Father, we would like to invite the Holy Spirit to be here with us. And please bless us, bless our hearts and minds, and bring your divine light into our hearts to understand your word and to be able to share with those who would love to hear about you. Father, please bless us and bless all those who are sick, those who are lonely, and um, those who have problems and uh, let them find you to be the answer in everything. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lydia. Now, I'm just going to ask the panel for a quick summary of where we ended up last week just to refresh your memories on what things are going to be like just before the return of Jesus. Panel, would you like to give some information on that? Ken. You know, as we go through the book of Revelation, we get different glimpses of various things. I was thinking, if a movie was made of Revelation as you read it, you sometimes go from one thing to another. You go from the negative and bad, then to the positive and good. And last week we were looking at what I would call the negative and bad. We were given a picture of Babylon this is not literal Babylon, it's what I would say metaphorical Babylon, portrayed as a woman dressed in all this expensive clothing and jewellery and stuff, riding on a beast, a red one, which had names of blasphemy all over its side, and uh, in her hand 
this woman held a cup with things which were poison, they were terrible. And um, as we understand it, this really refers to the Roman Church, which has a great deal of influence in the world, even at this point of time. This week, of course, we're going to look at something completely different because the whole world gets involved in wondering, it's called in the Bible, looking up to, taking notice of, being controlled by this power. But that power is doomed. I just quickly want to to say something because uh, uh, not that I want to disagree with uh, Len, but uh, just a little little correction there. Um, the Babylon which we are talking about is not a metaphorical one. It's a spiritual Babylon. It's real. It's not a physical Babylon, but it's a real Babylon. And it's talking from a spiritual level. And another thing I want to say also, Bible and particularly Revelation, it's a wonderful good news. Even though sometimes the language can be a little bit, uh, you know, negative or but it's a wonderful good news because we are going to understand fully who God is and what he wants from each one of us yes Nick I accept that it's about a real power but the name of course is applied from somewhere else can, can I just jump in <laughs> and um, just mention a couple of things I found last week was about it says a judgment but it was a sentence wasn't it against falseness and for me it wasn't completely negative for me there was a positive outcome to know that God is still in control and he will bring about justice and for me that gave me hope the other thing I noticed about last week's lesson also a study that we did was that the Bible actually interprets itself and I found that was really fascinating it tells you at the end of the chapter who the woman was you know the great city Babylon mm. and and what was happening and and why they were being sentenced as they were so for me I think it was a a culmination of what's going to happen at the end but ultimately it gives me hope that God is in control mm. Brenton would you like to have a few comments maybe on say the state of the earth and uh, mankind is just before the Lord returns the situation can according to the word is that there comes a point in time where the people of the world withdraw their support from Babylon. And uh, I think that that's very important because in our day and age that we live, people don't like to be deceived. We have television ads, we have political advertising, and people like to think that they can pick the fake in whatever it is that uh, is uh, being foisted on them. However, unfortunately, according to this particular scenario from last week's study, by the time they wake up to the fact that they've been deceived, it's too late for them to change the direction of their lives. And I think, Ken, that that is vitally important for us to understand, that if God is calling us now through his word, we need to follow it now. Yeah, I agree um, very much with what you're saying, Brendan. But I think, number one, we need to know what the original is so we can discern what the counterfeit true, is. True. And the only way we can know that is by studying his word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that is so true. We really always need to go back to the word of the Lord. Now, I'm sure our listeners are, are very aware of all the disasters that's taking place all over the world at the moment. And these, as the Bible calls them, are birth pains just before the return of Jesus and I believe the earth just before Jesus returns is not going to be a very nice place and many Christians may be experiencing difficult times but God has promised he will be with us till the end, till the very end of earth's history. Good news. Yes, wonderful news. Helen, could I get you to read uh, Matthew 28 and verse 20? Yes, I'd love to. Matthew 28, verse 20, and I'm reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation. And it says here, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's an interesting text, Ken. You know, I mean, for one, we're actually given a, a job, aren't we? Absolutely. To teach um, others to obey all the commands that God has given to us. And 
I love that last part that we can be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's I, a beautiful promise. Can I ask yes. the panel, what does it mean to observe all things I have commanded you? Got just, some feedback just, on that? Well, just this morning, my wife and I were reading a reading on this very subject. There are many people in the world, many Christian people, who seem to have this idea, all you need is faith, that's all. Faith that your sins are forgiven and you're okay after that. And a lot of people are taught this kind of message, but it's not. There's a twofold thing. Yes, you have to have faith. You, you cannot, your sins cannot be forgiven unless you believe in the Lord and that Jesus died to save us from our sins. That's inescapable. If you don't believe that, you're not even a Christian. But there is another aspect of it, and that is to do what God wants us to do, to keep his commandments. And they're not, they're not so terrible as some people might think. In fact, there is a text in the Bible, I can't think of where it is, it says his commands are not grievous. They're there for our own benefit. But unless something happens in the life of a Christian and there's a change and that person wants to do what God wants them to do, then I think it's, it's imbalanced. It's a wrong view and I think it's probably a deception. Mm. Ken, can I make a brief comment on uh, what Len has said? Uh, it's very important. By being obedient to God's commandments, we are actually demonstrating whether we really do love him or not because in John fourteen fifteen, he said if you love me keep my commandments now a demonstration of love for a spouse or someone in your family is that you want to do what they would have you to do you want to please them so therefore if you look at keeping the commandments rather than a duty but as a love response I think that's what God is looking for I think that's important, um, Brenton, too. We, we love God. We don't keep the commandments to earn salvation no. or to be saved. We keep them because we, we are, are saved, saved and because we love him. It's a good point. Yes, it is, it is really important in the commandments. And I think in this particular last period of time we're in, especially the fourth commandment, would someone like to expand on that one? The fourth commandment is all about keeping of the Sabbath. It starts off by saying, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, for in six days the Lord made heaven, the earth, the sea, and so on and so on. To remember God as creator. It also says in the book of Jeremiah, when people keep the Sabbath, it is a sign between him and us. And um, so there are many people who claim to keep the commandments, but they don't. They keep some of the commandments. And the, the Apostle James details this more. He says, look, if you, if you keep the commandments, you break one, well, you might as well break them all because mm. by breaking one, is, it's like, um, say, driving your car and you don't stop at a stop sign and a policeman pulls you up and he says, well, you didn't stop at a stop sign, I have to book you. But you say to the officer, well, I did keep the speed limit I did stay on the left side of the road. I didn't do anything dangerous, so I should be all right. Oh, no. Oh, no, you'll still get that fine. And same thing. Part of our duty and privilege, I'd like to add, as Christians, is to do what God wants us to do. And that includes keeping the fourth commandment, which so many people discount and say, no, that's not important. Can I just add there, Len, you know, when you said you break one, you break them all. And I used to think, well, you know, what's the point? That's the end for me. You know, I just cannot possibly keep it. Until I, I came across the text in 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins mm. and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That text gave me the hope to know that I could go back to God and say, I didn't know, you know, this is and this, especially the Sabbath, and now I know please enable me to keep it as you want me to. So there is hope, even if you feel that you've broken them all. Please don't think there is no hope. There is hope. We have a wonderful Redeemer. Just another thought. Um, 
just keep in mind that we are uh, talking about the conflict in between the good and evil and uh, God is giving us all these uh, instructions if you like and uh, the commandments to be able to to be on the right side because the enemy is coming under a very deceitfulness approach and we are to know the will of God not to be just trapped in the tradition of man there are lots of people who say well the commandments they were um, done away with at the crucifixion of Christ well that's a load of rubbish I want to show you a couple of texts from the Bible what the Apostle Paul and also the Apostle John had to say about it the first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 19 here's Paul writing circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing keeping God's commands is what it is what counts. And then in 1 John 5 verses 2 and 3, this is what it says there. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Then it goes on to say, this is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Mm. So, if anyone claims that the commandments were done away with at the cross, has to do something with those two verses because I don't see that you can muck around with those two verses. They're very plain and clear statements. And also, what does this have to do with uh, our topic for today when Jesus says, I will make all things new? Because in my opinion is this. You may heard about the expression saying that eternity starts here on this earth. I mean, we need to kind of uh, be prepared for that place which Jesus is making for us. Jesus is not going to take us, doesn't matter our condition. He's teaching us, instructing us to be prepared and ready to be with him. And there's a very important point here. Uh, the Sabbath is a sign of sanctification. Sanctification means to make holy. Now, sanctification, we like to put it in a nice little box and say it talks about being made holy while we're here. Sanctification actually refers to two things. It refers to what God is doing in us now, but it also refers to a future state. So in keeping the Sabbath holy, we are demonstrating to those around about us that God is doing his work in us. It is not only changing us now, but it is preparing us to be with the holy people in heaven where we will all be holy. That's very true. I just want to intervene here and just uh, mention again about the keeping of the Sabbath. Uh, one of the things that's so important about it is, of course, that we have the right day. <coughs> and if you study the Bible, it clearly tells us it's the seventh day Sabbath that we are to keep. Uh, I would just like to comment on Exodus 31 verses 12 to 17 it's about a sign a sign identifies a business a street, a product, etc and so does the Sabbath it identifies God's people notice also that the covenant made after the ratification of the Old Testament bound the Sabbath as a perpetual covenant upon God's people a people forever even in heaven now Brenton could I get you to read Revelation 19 and verses 19 to 21. Yes, Ken, I will read those uh, three verses that you've asked. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. Pretty powerful stuff. Panel, mm. would you like to have a few comments on that? I think to start with, when it says about the one sitting on the horse and his army, I think we need to be clear 
who this is. He's sitting on a white horse, and the Bible previous to that explains it. And the white, the one on the white horse is Jesus, mm-hmm. and his his fire, his eyes are described, you know, as as being a fire because he's coming to avenge the saints. And the sword coming out of his mouth, of course, is the justice that's going to be affected. And when it talks about at the end, the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. There are going to be two suppers at the end, two wedding feasts, if you like. But one of them was just described here. One of them, these these um, bodies will be a menu for the birds of the air. We are going to talk soon about the other one, which is much more positive, which I sincerely hope that we will all be in. And the white horse represents victory. Absolutely. Mm, good point. Thank you. Absolutely. So Jesus comes victorious. Yes. Revelation chapter 19 in my Bible has a title, and it's entitled Alleluia. Now, when do people call out Alleluia? Well, some might call out Alleluia, I won the lottery. Well, that's mm-hmm. never been in my no, case. experience. No, I've never <laughs> experienced that. But when there is a victory, as Ledger was just pointing out, the victory is sure, but it's not going to be on the side of the beast or the image or Satan. Christ will be the victor. He is the victor pictured here as a rider on a white horse. And then it gives some gory details what happens to those who are on the wrong side of the fence. And should we all say hallelujah? He's coming, Victor. Ken, can I just comment briefly on this uh, gory bit that uh, Len referred to and uh, Helen backed up on? It's actually an allusion to two passages of Scripture in the Old Testament, one in the book of Isaiah and one in the book of Ezekiel, where virtually identical wording is used. But the term used in Ezekiel in particular, rather than it being so much a feast, it's more a sacrifice. It actually uses the word sacrifice there. So what is taking place here is um, you can, uh, as Paul says, you can offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, or you can choose the other option and you will then become the sacrifice, the sacrifice of evil. This is, uh, we were talking in earlier, in an earlier study about Armageddon. This is um, probably just a an over... Um, arching picture mm. Mm. of what will happen at Armageddon they, uh, it'll be an unequal battle because Satan, Satan's agencies and his followers are no match for Christ that's, that's absolutely true Brenton you've got a few words to finish there on certainly uh, Ken again it says Revelation 13 points to a time of major apostasy to in Christianity, which was fulfilled when Roman Catholicism claimed the position and authority of God with the Pope as its head. Those who refused to submit to Rome were killed or subjected to persecution, something many Christians forget today. Certainly, unless you're uh, close to some of the websites that are around these days, uh, Ken, you would not know that many Christians in many parts of the world, even today, are suffering for their faith, in fact, dying for their faith. And I would like to also look at a, a different side again uh, in this um, battle. Just keep in mind that Jesus won the battle and he's victorious at the cross. When he comes back, the problem is this. We are in between this battle. And because of that, the enemy is doing everything what he can to have as many casualty as possible. Mm. And when Jesus comes, he's coming to bring that victory also to his people. Now, we may seem like through the battle of Armageddon that we are going to lose it. That we, because the Satan, it, as the Bible says, he's like a roaring lion coming to devour everyone, if it's possible, even the elect. But Jesus is coming to redeem us, I mean, to to take us with him back home, and he will fight for our, for his people. Absolutely wonderful. We're just going to touch on now about the wedding supper of the Lamb. Leachie, would you like to read that little passage? Yes, 
2,000 years ago, Christ left his heavenly home to invite his followers to a wedding supper that will take place after his marriage to his bride. So this wedding supper appropriately illustrates the long-awaited awaited union between Christ and his people. So the marriage represents the reception by Christ of his kingdom. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, is called the bride, the lamb's wife. And in Revelation, the people of God are said to be the guests at the marriage supper. So in Revelation chapter 19 with verse 9, the guests, if guests, they cannot be represented also as the bride. But in the parable of the wedding supper of the Lamb, which is described also in Matthew chapter 22 verse 1 to 14, the same figure of the marriage is introduced at the investigative judgment is that is clearly represented as taking place before the marriage. Previous to the wedding, the king comes in to see the guests, to see if all are attired in the wedding garment, the spotless robe of character washed and made white in the blood of the lamb, which is described in Matthew 22 and in Revelation 7:14. But after his death and resurrection, the bridegroom returned to his father's house to prepare a place for his people, and his wedding guests remain on earth preparing for his return. At the end of the world, he will come back and take them to his father's house. In Revelation 19:8 states that the fine and clean linen was given to the bride by Christ. So this apparel shows that the wedding guests who enter the city do not claim any merit for their deeds. Thus, the fine linen, clean and bright, represents the righteousness acts of the saints, acts that came as a result of their union with Christ who lives in them. And these robes symbolize his righteousness and that his people keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I think here we need to, to just uh, unpack it a little bit, this, um, this thing, because uh, it can be confusing talking about um, the bride and the groom and who's the bride. We know who's the groom. And many Christians, and I heard about this uh, view, that uh, we are the, the bride of the groom. And in, a, in some aspects, yes, we are. But interesting enough, through those uh, passages in the Bible which Lydia referred to in Matthew and 22 in Revelation, is that we are the bride, not as individuals. We are the bride as Christ Church. Now, when in Revelation 21 talks about the New Jerusalem being the bride, is because the New Jerusalem is the place where God's people will be represented or, you know, located. What's the understanding on the panel here? Because it's a, it's a quite interesting subject and probably in a few minutes we can uh, So bring who, who is the groom? The groom is Jesus, okay? The bride is the, the church, the church of, of God. And who are the guests? A good question. That's what I was going to ask. Who are the guests? Well, I hope I'm on the guest list. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yes. <laughs> I think God's faithful people. Uh, collectively, the term bride applies to the whole church. Yes. But individually, it applies to the saved who are the guests at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And be yeah, but the guests, the guests, he says that, okay, we are, we, let's consider that we are part of the church of God. And I think the guests are also those from outside of the church who in the end we will be called by God mm -hmm. to come as guests at his supper, at yes. his table, yes. and they will have this, uh, the, the appropriate attire, the appropriate white linen and of, of clothes that they, they will wear at the wedding, which it means the righteousness of God. That's a good point uh, because, uh, um, yeah, we have to, to look at, to parallel this with both passages in Matthew and in Revelation. And, um, when we look at the, the guests, because in the end, nobody can change their uh, 
position, if you like. You know, once you are in the finally mm. in, with sure. Jesus, you know, you are in. Uh, but the example of the parable of uh, of banquet in uh, Matthew 22 is that many people think right now that they are right with God, but they are not because they are not listening to the instruction of God to put the right garment on. And I think this is the where w- our interest is now more because we are all awaiting for that great event. But now we have something to do, a preparation time. What I was going to say is this: um, these passages we've just been looking at are about what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, where in heaven, where the saints are taken and there is a celebration. Now, if you think what a marriage supper is all about, it's the end of something and it's the beginning of something. When people get married, the marriage ceremony is the end of their lives as single people. At the beginning of their lives as a married couple. Yes. Unfortunately, I think in Australia there's about two in five marriages fail. Mm. But anyhow, that's really got nothing to do with this. Here we have a little picture of, okay, this is the end of all the preceding things, all the trouble, the deceptions, etc., 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 those who are faithful to Christ will be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb and that will be the beginning of a new existence. Mm. Ken, can I just make a comment uh, in regard to this? The uh, marriage supper of the Lamb is is very important but the union with Christ, the the marriage actually begins when a person accepts Jesus. Mm. When a person accepts Christ as their Lord and Saviour and is baptised, they are in effect married to Christ. What happens at the end of time when we meet our Saviour face to face in the Kingdom of Heaven is the fulfilment of a process that began when we gave our hearts to Him. And I pray that each one of us will see that fulfilment for ourselves. I observed here in the in Revelation chapter 19 verse 9 the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And in verse 17, it says, And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and mighty men, and ho- of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slaves, small and great. So he is about, he's talking about two types of supper. In the first one, it's the supper for those who are chosen uh, with a conqueror. And another one, uh, and in this supper you eat, we eat. And the other one is going to be eaten. So the birds of the air, they eat the flesh of the kings and so on and so on. Yeah. Can I just mention that all are invited to the Supper of the Lamb? Everyone, every one of you listening today, you're all invited to go to his, yes, to to attend this this, um, marriage feast. But those that actually choose not to, that refuse to attend, they become part of the menu at the end, if you like. You know, um, it's, it's, the fact that we have two options and we must choose one or the other, but we are all given the opportunity. Well, uh, it's a very good panel. Uh, time is moving on and we must move on as well. What happens, uh, I mean, th- this is wonderful news. Jesus is coming back soon and his people are going to be taken to heaven. But what happens to God's people after all the wicked and unrighteous people are destroyed and Satan is bound in chains on the earth? What happens to God's people? What are we doing? The righteous will be taken to heaven. Right, I notice yes. also the words that Satan will be bound in chains on the earth. It's not literal chains as we look at chains, I don't believe. I believe he's bound by circumstances. Mm. He will have no one to tempt. Mm. Billy, I have a lot of time to think about. The millennium, which is the, the a thousand years... Uh, begin with the second coming of Christ. So at this time, Satan and his fallen angels are chained. But this chaining of Satan is symbolic. 
because spiritual beings cannot be physical, physically bound. So Satan is bound by circumstances. The plagues have desolated the earth and killed off all uh, its evil inhabitants, bringing in into a chaotic condition resembling the earth before the creation. So in this state, the earth functions as Satan's prison during this millennium. Again, one of the key things uh, that the saints do during this thousand year period from the time that Christ comes and takes them to heaven to be with him is they actually review the books of record in heaven. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians to the Corinthian church, he said, Know you not that we will judge angels. Now, he's obviously talking about Satan and his evil angels, but the opportunity that we have in heaven is to look at the books of record and see that God has been totally fair in everything that he has done. In a sense, we, our, our opportunity in the judgment is not to execute sentence. It's not the executive phase of the judgment. It's not even the investigative phase of the judgment. It's just reviewing the evidence. And in reviewing the evidence, you can determine then why certain people maybe you expected to be in heaven are not there and why other people are. And uh, just to continue on that, uh, Brenton, uh, in Revelation uh, 20 and verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Mm -hmm. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had, have not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. As you just mentioned, Brendan, it's a time when God's people will, will be with Jesus, and just after all these terrible things happen on this earth, how amazing it is to be with the Lord. But not just that, God is giving the opportunity to these people because how many of us, how many of people on this earth who make heaven, let's put it this way, will not have questions about their loved ones, about the people who they knew around and is not clear in their mind. Now God would not just keep that thing and say, okay, you know, good luck, you are here, uh, enjoy the, uh, the banquet. Now, God is giving everything possible to, for us to see why things happen in the way it happened. And I think it's a very relevant thing to, to be with God, to reign for a thousand years in heaven, and then come back on this earth and live forever. A new earth. A new, new earth. earth, yes. We are looking at Revelation chapter 20, where there are two um, scenes presented. <clears throat> We've already discussed both of them, but I would just like to kind of sort of conclude on this. At the, at the coming of Jesus, all living human beings who are, have not confessed Jesus as their saviour will be destroyed. These are those who worship the beast and the image of the beast, got all that language there. Saints will be taken to heaven. How do I know that? Because Jesus himself said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Um, I, go to I go to prepare a place for you. I'm reading a different version than I learned. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. As I understand the scriptures, at this time the saints will be taken to heaven. We have other verses that will confirm that. Life on earth will cease. Satan will be trapped because he won't have anybody to tempt. He'll be absolutely bored out of his brain. He'll have plenty of time to think of all the trouble that he caused. And the saints will be in heaven and they will have the opportunity, as Brenton so very nicely said before to review God's judgments why isn't auntie there 
the books are opened, you can see that Auntie wasn't all that she appeared to be, or whatever that is the case. Yes. I'm just using that as an illustration. But the part that I like from here has already been said to, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. That's the time when Jesus comes. The saints will be raised. The, the, the other people won't. They will remain in the graves. But those who were alive at the time of Jesus' coming will be destroyed. Mm. Ken, just quickly, uh, Len touched on a very important verse in verse 3, where it says, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now, this is a very clear verse in the scripture, which teaches unequivocally that nobody is in heaven currently. He's going to come back and receive us to himself. There is nobody there currently, otherwise the whole verse means nothing. So he's coming again to receive us to himself. And that term in the Greek is very, very strong. It indicates a very, very dear and intimate relationship. And I can hardly wait to meet the person who saved me. And I'm sure we would all be the same. So he's not going to send an envoy or an angel to... He's coming himself. Coming himself. Sounds absolutely wonderful. Then could I get you to read uh, Revelation 21, verse 1 to 5? Well, I can tell you these verses here were some of my mother's very favourite verses. And I'll explain why. Um, Prophet John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. Yes. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And I'd just like to say, my mother died just before she turned 101 and she had trouble with her knees she used to have a lot of pain from her knees and she was looking forward to the day when she would have no more painful mm. knees mm. and i tell you if you could if you take this description here to heart it's something to be very glad about not only to be on the side of victory but to have the blessing of an idyllic life after, ever afterwards is something to really look forward to. Amen. Amen. I remember um, listening to Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, a young lady who had a very bad diving accident mm. when she mm -hmm. was about 19, I think, and um, broke her neck, and she is a quadriplegic to this day. But I remember hearing her um, when I was in New South Wales and she said it's interesting that I cannot wipe the, my own tears away I have to have someone to do it for me and when I get to heaven God is going to wipe away my tears and I will be able to do it mm -hmm. and she said but isn't it great to know that I can get out of this wheelchair the other thing she said was I would rather spend a lifetime in this wheelchair with God than one minute out of the chair without him Yeah, what a grand testament yeah. and Ken. I think there are going to be a lot of people shouting more than hallelujah uh, I think time. so Helen Ken just a quick one on that word behold I make a new heaven and a new earth uh, the Greek for that is, is actually not new in the sense of completely new as in I'm starting again it's new in the sense of refresh, restore, uh, reclaim. Mm -hmm. And so the earth that God created originally, which was perfect back in the Garden of Eden, will be restored at least as good as it was back then. And um, that then brings in everything Lena said about no more suffering, pain or death, etc., etc., etc. But it's just interesting to note that what God does in destroying the earth by fire, he puts it back in the state 
that it was when he first made it once it's restored. I have a little speculation here and I have to tell you listeners you can't prove what I'm going to say from the Bible it's just a little flight of fancy when God makes everything new I really want to see how he does it I think then you'll find that a a tricky one because as we've read many times in the Bible God speaks things into existence which is beyond our understanding but anyway that will be fascinating what I think is interesting too is if you go to Genesis and you go through about the earth that was created and you also see you know after the fall and you do a comparison that's the first book in the Bible and then you go to Revelation and you do a comparison it's just I agree with Brendan it's a restoration isn't it you know it's it says in Revelation that there won't be any need for the sun you know, why is that? Because the sun's not needed because the brightness of the glory of God will lighten Enjoy. the place. You know, mm-hmm. the light of the glory of God takes away the darkness. There will be no night there, but night was originally. You know, uh, Satan was victorious on this earth. He's going to be defeated. There destroyed. are so and destroyed. There are so many parallels, but they're beautiful. I would recommend to anyone and all our listeners do that comparison, and it will give you hope that it will be an earth made new, one that is worth being close to Christ now, not because we've earned it, but because he's prepared it for us. And And he wants to dwell with us. Sorry, Mm. Brendan, I think the key thing is that God has always wanted to dwell with us. He Mm. doesn't want a barrier, you know. Um, There'll be no temple there. Why? Because the measurements of the city that will be done in, in, in the same as the temple like the most holy place. We will dwell with God forever. Mm. I don't know about you, but I am so excited about this. Mm. I can't wait to go home. Can I just mention something here? At the end of chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, talks about then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. We haven't got time to talk about that now, I think, but I'd love to. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. God is going to cleanse this earth of sin sin and everything that came about because of sin with fire. It will be a total purifier. Now, a lot of people have this concept about um, when somebody dies, if they haven't been good, they, they go to hell and they're toasted forever and ever and ever. I don't believe that at all. This is going to be a complete annihilation Mm. of Mm. sin and sinners. Mm. Its effects are permanent, Ken, but I'd like to read verse 17 of chapter 22. It says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that hears say, Come, and let him that is athirst come, and whoever will, let him take the waters of life freely. Three times the word come is mentioned here. In other words, you can sense that God and those in heaven are desperate for us to be with them throughout eternity, and hence the uh, application three times in this particular verse alone, but it's also mentioned earlier in the chapter as well. And please come to Christ now, mm. because now is the day That's of right. salvation. Now is the day of salvation. I'm very excited when I'm thinking about the new earth and the new Jerusalem. So the new Jerusalem, it says that uh, is going to be the capital of the, the new earth. So this new Jerusalem is going to be inhabited by real people. They will live a real life. And uh, the life that are, they are going to live are beyond an earthly description. We have in Revelation 21 verse 9 to 21, we have a description of the new Jerusalem. And also in John 14, 1 and 3, uh, the city surrounded by a high wall and 12 gates, three gates on each of the four sides, allowing entry from any di- any direction. And uh, uh, the city is f- uh, further pictured as a perfect cube, 12,000 uh, furlongs or stadia in length, width and height. And uh, mm-hmm. the most prominent feature of the New Jerusalem is the river of water of life flowing from God's throne which we can see also in Genesis chapter 2 verse 10 
In contrast to the river in Babylon at which God's people were sitting as captives longing for the Jerusalem on the banks of the river of life in New Jerusalem, God's wandering people of all ages have found their home. And uh, on both sides of the river is the tree of life with leaves for the healing of the nation, which it says in Revelation chapter 22 verse 2. This healing does not refer to diseases, as on the new earth there will be no disease, but it refers to the healing of all the wounds caused by the barriers that have torn people apart throughout the history. And the redeemed of all ages and from all nations now belong to one family of God, the redeemed. I just want to also um, mention that from verse 12 and up to verse 15 or 16, is mentioning two things there. The gates, which represents the 12 tribes of Israel. How important is that? We can have a long discussion on that. And also the 12 foundations, which represented the 12 disciples. Just very quickly, the 12 gates, which are on all sides you know, of the, all the building, Everyone is invited to come to this kingdom. There is no such a difference in between a category of people or the others. They are all invited to come in. But interesting enough that the foundation which God said to the disciples, you know, now you go to the Great Commission, you know, we go and teach everything what I have commanded you. Preach this gospel to the end of the world. It's very important that the foundation is laid also what the disciples were told to preach and teach. Okay, well, we talk about the New Jerusalem, and I'd like to go back to Revelation chapter 21 and verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice. That would be a, an announcement, I think. Yes. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It seems very much to me that when the New Jerusalem comes down on the recreated earth, that God is going to change his headquarters, mm. that instead of being in heaven, it says here, according to what I understand from this, God is going to make his headquarters with mankind. Now, one has to ask why. Well, hasn't heaven given everything to redeem lost sinners, lost mankind? So here is this statement to the universe. I want to be with those I have redeemed. Yes. And on the other hand, I think too, we talk about pleasures. I think I've mentioned this on air at another time and another place. The greatest pleasure I think that man can experience is fellowship with God. And here that thing is promised. Redeemed man can fellowship with God. How wonderful will that be? Mm. Ken, just a quick one on Revelation 21 verse 1 which we tend to read pretty quickly and skip over to the next couple of verses and I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea I'd like to just comment briefly on no more sea what does sea do today if you're talking about the physical sea today it divides people doesn't it in other words, if you want to travel and see you or a family in America, you either have to fly over the sea or you have to take a ship and, and traverse the sea. So it, can, it could have a physical application here. No more seed, no more division, bringing everybody together. can also have a spiritual application because last week we studied in Revelation 17 verse 15 that sea prophetically represents people. In this case, peoples who are opposed to God. But in the case that we're talking about here, there is no more sea. We are all one. Remember Christ prayed in Revelation, in uh, John chapter 17 that they all may be one, Father, and that we are one. I find this a very comforting verse, and I don't think we spend enough time on analysing or 
working out what no more sea actually means. And it's, it's very true on that. I was thinking on the same way, uh, Brendan. One thing I would like to also mention, coming to the end of this program, unfortunately, um, there, there are two things which we need to uh, take in consideration. When we are about to be judged, and we talked about here even about the uh, investigative judgment and so on, keep in mind, God's people, they had an advocate. Yes. And that's Jesus Christ there. But, but those people who are going to be lost, they don't have anyone to defend them. The only difference is that those people who are saved will be the one which the judgment will be given to them to proclaim, if you like, that. Because we are the one to see the, the horrible things which happen through the history of this earth. And we are the ones to say, right and true and worthy is the Lamb, you know, because your judgment yes. are true. My conclusion for this lesson is found in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12 and uh, 13 and 14. Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. So this determines me to stay closer to God and tell others that they have the opportunity to be together with Jesus at the end. Can I just finish off too <laughs> by giving my conclusion, if that's okay? Um, that although we're excited, and I think this is important for our families and for the listeners, although we are excited about that day and we are all looking forward to it, it's also a sadness for me when I think of my family and my friends that are, have turned their back on God. Mm. You know, yes. the book also reminds us that before the end comes, we are entrusted with a task of proclaiming the message of his soon return to all the world. Mm. Our waiting for his return is not passive, it's active, yes. and we need to be active. You know, both the Spirit and the Bride said, come, as was mentioned. Mm -hmm. And we must join that call saying, come. It's the good news, and as such, it must be proclaimed to our families, to our friends, and to the people of the world. And, and may they listen. May they be touched by the Holy Spirit to give their lives to him now yes. and then spend eternity with him. Yes. Amen. I think, uh, Helen, that's a really good point. Uh, like many Christians, I'm very, very sad at all the people out there who have heard of Jesus and have heard the testimony of Christians and yet refuse to look into it or take Jesus as their saviour and as God says he takes no pleasure in the uh, uh, people losing their lives because they won't turn to him and I think many Christians think exactly the same but anyway we have ended I hope on a high note uh, thank you panel very much today for all your input it's uh, book of Revelation is such a heavy book and it's so many things we could spend days and days just on one subject but it's wonderful to know that when Jesus comes back and his people go to heaven there's no more pain, sickness, diseases, aging becoming bald for those men losing one's memory as we get older never feeling tired I mean some of these things are just absolutely heavenly having great eyesight staying young forever can you imagine that and learning all about God's heavens and its stars and planets talking with Jesus and being in God's presence well that sounds really good to me so listeners I would just like to have a call to you today if this has touched your heart in any way shape or form I urgently ask you to seek the presence of God get down on your knees and ask Jesus to help make you understand and mm. find the church that you need to go to to hear the truth and the Holy Spirit to come in to your heart and that Jesus may come in and dwell with you and I'd just like to finish on a prayer Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you again for this wonderful opportunity we have to share your word with so many people. We pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit may touch so many lives that many more souls may be added to the kingdom of heaven. 
We see, Lord God, that the return of Jesus is very, very close. We understand many people don't believe this today, but for those who know the Bible, the evidence is crystal clear, and we're concerned for all these many people out there who have not got in touch with Jesus yet. We pray for each and every one of them, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, uh, Ken, and thank you, panel, for um, your contribution. This was quite a journey in the book of Revelation, and um, we are going to approach a different study um, from next week. Please uh, tune in again and uh, listen to to the new topics which we'll uh, provide from next week. But until then, may God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.